Hello, kids. Gather around for a story. Is that kind of creepy to say, to start off an episode like this? I'm not sure, but I went with it anyway. So before I begin, I just want to put a warning out there that this episode does contain incest and the rape of children. On this episode of Bad Seeds, Kids Who Kill, I am going to discuss the murder of 85-year-old Anna Brackett by 14-year-old Shirley Wolf and 15-year-old Cindy Collier. The murder took place in Auburn, California in 1983. Before I get into the murder, I'm going to talk about Shirley and Cindy's lives before the incident. Cindy Collier was basically a rage monster. Her entire body language and even her eyes were described as vibrating rage and hostility. By the age of 12, she was a regular at juvie where she would routinely assault staff and inmates. She had been arrested for burglary, theft, and drug possession. Because of her age, Cindy was often spared jail time and would be sentenced to community service. She would be sent to pick up litter on highways, but the punishment wasn't enough to deter her from a life of crime. Mike Flutie, a former classmate of hers, said she was a smart ass towards everyone, and no one was spared her rage. At 14 years old, she had no problem harassing adults and randomly accosting people on the street. If anyone so much as looked at her, she was ready to throw down. And it seemed as though she was always looking for a fight. Cindy liked to intimidate. Forensic psychologist Paula Orange said she had learned it was better to be a predator than the prey very early on in life. Her early childhood would shape the monster she would become. Cindy's parents divorced when she was one years old. Her mother remarried, but that ended in divorce as well. She would take care of Cindy and her three sons during the day and go to a waitress job at night. Cindy stated that she had been raped by an undisclosed family member and by another man who threw her down a flight of stairs after he finished with her. Okay, I just want to um, pause here and just say that I do not condone anything that Cindy Collier did, but I feel for little Cindy at this point in time. Her mother reportedly had different children all by different men orange said and cindy was molested by one of her mother's endless string of men that she brought into the home and again i just feel so bad for little cindy she tried to commit suicide on several occasions but was frustrated by not succeeding in her attempts so she decided to hurt others instead in fact she said i want to i want them to pay when she began school at Channa, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, Channa High School, she would randomly pick some girl she didn't like and bully them. She was 5'9 and 140 pounds, and she posed a, a menacing figure. On one occasion, she stripped the shirt off a girl and made her run down the street topless. Um, I think I would have crumbled in fear in at the sight of Cindy Collier. She was 
she was a trained bully, Orange said. She knew exactly how to push the buttons of her victims, strip them, strip them of their dignity. It was done to her at home, so it was easy for her to pass along the abuse. Cindy's crimes would not be limited to physical assaults. She would go into liquor stores, stuff food in her pockets, and then leave. And she would do the same at malls. She would steal cassette tapes at the record store. And after a few months of doing this, she graduated to stealing a car. And this would land her in a juvenile detention center where she would meet her partner in crime and crime soulmate, Shirley Wolf. Now, Shirley's um, story is quite tragic, and this is this contains some disturbing elements of rape and incense, so please just be warned. Shirley started her early life in Brooklyn, New York City. New Brooklyn, New York, not New York City. Like Cindy, Shirley had been the victim of sexual abuse. Her father, Louis Wolfe, would rape her. She was, mol- she was also molested by her paternal grandfather and uncle as well. An observant kindergarten, kindergarten teacher noticed Shirley displaying some odd behavior, which was probably no doubt ex- expressing um, trauma for what was happening at home. And this teacher recommended that she get psych- psychiatric help. Not surprisingly, she did not get that help. At the age of six years old, she ran away for the first time. The streets were actually too rough for her, and she was scared back home. Her father, Louis, worked as a carpenter, but suffered an accident that forced him to take disability. He remained at home and began bossing his children around. Then he turned to sexually abusing Shirley. When Shirley was around six, the family moved from Brooklyn to Placerville, California, so Lewis could be closer to his own family. One morning when Shirley was nine, her father sent Shirley's mother, Catherine, to get groceries. He then proceeded to lock Shirley's three young brothers out of the house and then cornered her in the bathroom and raped her. I was really scared, Shirley recalled. I was really frightened to lose my virginity plus my honor and my pride. That's something I don't forgive my dad for. Lewis would rape his daughter sometimes as much as three times per day, and by the time she reached puberty, he had put her on birth control. Like Cindy, my heart bleeds for little Shirley having to deal with all of that. That is horrific and disgusting, and I just feel so sorry for that little girl. Shirley never told her mother because she didn't want to break up the family and hurt her mother. And, of course, Lewis warned her not to tell on him. Eventually, however, the abuse became so intolerable that she did end up telling her mother. And here's where I get a little angry. Her mother suspected it all all along and went to the authorities. Like, if you suspected that your daughter was being raped by your husband... And that he was doing this multiple times. Why would you not go and tell someone or or confront your daughter and ask him, ask her, what is happening? What is he doing to you? Like, I just think about all that time that could have saved that child. And maybe she wouldn't have turned into a monster later on. It's just no child deserves to go through that. And it's just my heart bleeds for that. 
Of course, her father denied that he molested Shirley, but pled guilty to reduce charges, which brought his sentencing down to a mere 100 days. Lewis was told that if he fought the charges, he would be facing 50 years. So he took the three months. That's it. That's what he gets. Three months. Shirley was then removed from the home, which had been her fear, and she proceeded to be bounced around from foster home to foster home. You get to the point where you're pushed into a corner and I just came back fighting, Shirley said. I want to go home. I forgive my father and I try to forget it. He's apologized to me, my family, and to God. At the detention center where they met, Shirley was be where Shirley and Cindy met. Shirley was being beaten to a pulp by a fellow inmate in the hallway. And as per usual, no guards were around. Shirley tried to fight back, but the girl threw her against the wall, punched her in the stomach, and twisted her arm. So that's when Cindy came up to them and asked Shirley what her name was and then declared, I like you, Shirley Wolf. Then Cindy got Shirley's attacker in a full Nelson and overpowered her. She told Shirley to let her have it, and Shirley didn't hesitate, and she began pummeling the girl. They left the girl on the ground and walked off together, and that was the beginning of their relationship. I think it was an unfortunate chemistry between the two girls, Shirley's defense attorney, Thomas Conduit, Condit said. I think it also had to do with finding a new friend and wanting to show that she was capable of doing anything that the friend was. And Shirley was the opposite of Cindy in the respect that she didn't have Cindy's self-confidence. Shirley felt, quote unquote, hopeless and helpless as she talked about running away from the detention center. And she talked about it as if it was an impossibility. However, Cindy felt otherwise. She acted as though she had all the answers and knew how to escape. And so began the plan that would lead to murder. Cindy told Shirley that in order to escape, they first needed a car. She also told Shirley they needed someone old and unable to fight. Cindy explained they would have to kill their victim so he or she wouldn't report them to the police. And Shirley agreed and followed along. So they decided that they had to kill a stranger. First, before setting out. Now, keep in mind, this all happened over the course of a day. Okay, so it's not like they had months and months of bonding. This happened over the course of a day. They instantly bonded and became BFFs, and this is what they decided to do on that fateful day. First, they dyed their hair red and went touring Auburn Green, which were condos made for the elderly. They searched the parking lot for the cars they wanted and then matched the apartment and the parking lot number to find their victim. The first person they visited was Joe Becker and his wife. They went to the door, knocked on it, asked for directions for a glass of water, and um, just to try to get themselves in the door and to make them seem harmless and helpless. Joe and his wife, though, they didn't get a good feeling about them. And after they left, having decided that Joe would be hard to take down, Joe and his wife washed down everything the girls touched, and I'm talking even the phone with rubbing alcohol. After a few failed attempts around the condos, they knocked on the door of Anna Brackett. 
She lived alone, and they decided that she was the perfect target. She was a retired seamstress that had worked at Sears and had grandchildren the same ages as Cindy and Shirley. She was a kind woman who helped everyone, and when the girls asked if they could use her phone to call their parents to get them, Anna let them inside. They sat and talked with Anna for an hour before actually committing the murder, and I'm not sure why they they took an hour. I'm assuming that maybe they actually had to work up the nerve to actually kill her, and... I find it odd that they still were able to go through with it because I would think after sitting with an hour for a person that and talking with them that that would kind of, you know, humanize Anna to her to them and make it more difficult. But at one point when Anna got up to answer her phone, Cindy grabbed a knife, tossed it to Shirley, and then Shirley stabbed Anna several times. I stabbed and stabbed, recalled Wolf. I stabbed her in the neck because if she lived, she would know who we are and report us. The lady was freaking me out, telling me to stop, that she was dying. I said, good. All of a sudden, blood came out of her mouth, so I knew she was dead. And the two girls, it was said, unleashed their fury at the world and their shitty childhoods onto Anna. Before leaving, Cindy ransacked the condo for money and the keys to the 1970 Dodge parked in the garage and then ripped the two telephones, the telephone cords from the wall. The keys they had taken wouldn't actually start the car, so they fled on foot to nearby Highway 49. Now, at the same time they were fleeing on foot, Carl Brackett, Anna's son, passed them en route to his mother's home and said to his wife, they're stupid. Two young girls like that hitchhiking or else they're tough. Anna suffered 28 stab wounds. When her son found her, he said, there's a scene in the movie Psycho equivalent to what happened to my mother. I never could have imagined that two teenage girls could have done it. And Cindy wrote in her journal about the murder, We killed a woman today, and it was fun. It didn't take long for the cops to come right to them since everyone in the condo complex had come across these two girls practically and seen them. And it wasn't that hard to put two and two together, especially since Joe Becker and his wife actually let them into their apartment. When the cops caught up to them at the detention center, They separated them, and Shirley just sang like a canary. She told them, we decided we were going to kill her when we saw her. She was just an old lady, just a perfect setup. We killed her because we wanted her car, and we didn't want to get caught. She also told them, with no small amount of glee, that we both felt excited. I had done something I had never done before. And she was so familiar with the arrest process that when she was charged with murder, she recited the Miranda rights warning before the deputy could even say it to her. Cindy wasn't that much different. In fact, when she was questioned, the little bitch started to laugh. She recorded her own confession saying, to honestly tell you the truth, we didn't feel any badness. Then after we did it, we wanted to do another one. We just wanted to kill someone just for fun. 
She went on to say that I have tried to kill myself before and all it did was bring frustrations. So I take it out on others. I don't like them because they probably think they're better than I am. I don't want them around. I want them to pay. Cindy told authorities that she so deeply resented anyone who appeared to have a normal, decent life that she would attack them. I've hurt people, I've stabbed people, I've shot people, I've thrown people off the Auburn Dam. Okay, now that's, that's not true. She, this was like her first murder. She did not do all those things. But I think she was just, you know, making herself more of a quote-unquote badass than she really was. Um, again, not condoning her actions at all. So they were convicted of first-degree murder in July 1983, and under California state law, the teens received the maximum imprisonment for underage girls, incarceration until the age of 25. Cindy spent a total of nine years at the California Youth Authority facility in Ventura. After obtaining her junior college degree, she went on to study law at the institution at Pepperdine University School of Law. She was paroled on August 20th, 1992, and she had no further encounters with the law. Now, brace yourself, because this girl has four children. She lives in Northern California. Four children. On June 1st, 1991, Shirley was transferred to the Central California Women's Facility near Chowchilla, Wolf made attempts to recreate herself, including completing her high school education and turning to God. Yet her life remained fraught with chaos, bitterness, and anger. Since 1988, despite, re despite repeated attempts to contact her family by mail, she received nothing but silence. Now, in 1992, Ra well, she was able to track down her father, actually. And they spoke for a few weeks and she learned that her mother had walked out months before. I don't, I can't believe this woman stayed with this man and left her three sons behind with Lewis. Like what the hell? Less than two months after that call, her father just stopped accepting telephone calls for her from her. On June 30th, 1995, 12 years and 16 days after the slaying of Anna Brackett, Shirley was freed from prison. And she has been arrested several times for, since her release. And for the past few years, she has been making every attempt to turn her life around. She says that she wishes she could undo the damage she and Cindy perpetrated. She knows there's no going back. And in looking forward, she stated that she has chosen to live as a kind and caring person, noting that the little girl lost has found her way. Now in her mid-40s, Wolf spent nearly a third of her life locked behind prison walls. And now I'd like to note that there is a book called Out There, and I can't remember the author's name, and I probably should have prepared that before, but I just thought of it. And it is called Little Girl Lost, and it is about the two girls. Also, there is a movie called Fun. I was not able to track that movie down and watch it, and honestly, I'm not sure that I really wanted to watch it, considering um, how horrible it sounds of what they did to Anna Brackett, not to mention their their lives before the, the murder. 
And from what I understand of the book, because I looked at Amazon and I read some reviews, it has to do a lot with what happened to Shirley and um, Cindy, like their lives previous with their families. And I'm not quite sure that I could stomach something like that. I just just reading about what Shirley and Cindy went through is just horrifying to me. There were those those girls had no chance to have like a normal life and you know what actually I take that back they probably could have had a chance to have a normal life had they gotten the help that they needed but there was nobody there for those kids there was nobody there for those girls to help them there was no help given and I understand that it was you know in the 80s and therapy wasn't a thing that people really talked about but those girls were abused they were abused. They were angry at the world. There were serious problems there. And I know that probably people washed their hands of them because of how, you know, confrontational and how violent they were. But I don't know. It's just it feels like a failure of the system to not get the girls the help that they needed and that it took that long for um, Shirley's mother to leave the father after what he did to her I and oh it just it makes my blood boil because I don't understand that I don't understand that at all um so anyway this was a short one because uh well just because it was a short one and I'm reading a book right now about Jesse Pomeroy, which I will hopefully have finished soon. Um, and that's a doozy and very disturbing. But um, I also have been reading a little bit about Eric Smith and was actually able to find the transcript of his parole board hearing um, on Scribd. So I'm, I'm thinking that that could be the next one. And when I show you guys the picture, because I will put that when I do that one, I will put it in the show notes because he just looks like a cocky little redheaded kid that I just want to punch in the face. Um, but he's another one that has like a tragic story, too. And I feel like that's going to be par for the course with this one is that all of them have had some kind of tragedy and trauma that has led them down a dark path. Again, not condoning their behavior. So anyway, I want to thank you for listening. And I know this was a short one, but um, there really wasn't as much out there that I could find. And I didn't want to do too much of a deep dive into the things that happened to Cindy and Shirley when they were younger. Because what I just told you was horrific enough. So anyway, thank you very much for tuning in and I'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.